0: I am Dr. Mark McCullough. I will be reading from The Inferno, Second Canto by Dante, translated by Mark Musa. Afterwards, I will offer a brief commentary. The day was fading, and the darkening air was releasing all the creatures on our earth from their daily tasks, and I, one man alone, was making ready to endure the battle of the journey and of the pity it involved, which my memory. Unearring shall not retrace. O muses, O high genius, help me now. O memory that wrote down what I saw, here your true excellence shall be revealed. Then I began. O poet, come to guide me. Tell me if you think my worth sufficient before you trust me to this arduous road. You wrote about young Silvius's father, who went beyond, with flesh corruptible, with all his senses, to the immortal reign But if the adversary of all evil was kind to him, considering who he was and the consequence that was to come from him, this cannot seem to thoughtful men unfitting. For in the highest heaven he was chosen father of glorious Rome and of her empire, and both the city and her lands, in truth, were established as the place of holiness where the successors of great Peter sit. And from this journey you celebrate in verse... Aeneas learned those things that were to bring victory for him and for Rome, the papal seat. Then later, the chosen vessel Paul ascended to ring back confirmation of that faith, which is the first step on salvation's road. But why am I to go? Who allows me to? I am not Aeneas. I am not Paul. Neither I nor any man would think me worthy. And so if I should undertake the journey, I fear it might turn out an act of folly. You are wise. You see more than my words express. As one who unwills what he willed will change his purpose with some new second thought, completely quitting what he first had started, so I did, standing there on that dark slope, thinking ending the beginning of that venture I was so quick to take up at the start. If I have truly understood your words, that shade of magnanimity replied, your soul is burdened with that cowardice which often weighs so heavily on man. It turns him from a noble enterprise like a frightened beast that shies at its own shadow. To free you from this fear, let me explain the reason I came here, the words I heard that first time I felt pity for your soul. I was among those dead who are suspended, When a lady summoned me. She was so blessed and beautiful, I implored her to command me. With eyes of light more bright than any star, In low, soft tones she started to address me, In her own language, with an angel's voice. O noble soul, courteous Madowin, whose fame the world continues to preserve and will preserve as long as world there is. My friend, who is no friend of fortunes, strays on a desert slope. So many obstacles have crossed his path. His fright has turned him back, I fear. He has gone so far astray from what reports has come to me in heaven that I may have started to his aid too late. Now go, and with your elegance of speech, with whatever may be needed for his freedom, give him your help and thereby bring me solace i am beatrice who urges you to go i come from the place i am longing to return to love moved me as i is it moves me now to speak when i return to stand before my lord often i shall sing your praises to him and then she spoke no more and i began o lady of grace through whom alone mankind may go beyond all worldly things contained within the sphere that makes the smallest round, your plea fills me with happy eagerness, to have obeyed already would seem too late. You needed only to express your wish. But tell me how you dare to make this journey all the way down to this point of spacelessness, away from your spacious home that calls you back. Because your question searches for deep meaning, I shall explain in simple words, she said, just why i have no fear of coming here a man must stand in fear of just those things that truly have the power to do us harm of nothing else of for nothing else is fearsome god gave me such a nature through his grace that torments you must bear cannot afflict me nor are the fires of hell a threat to me a gracious lady sits in heaven grieving for what happened to the one i send you to and her compassion breaks heaven's stern decree She is called Lucia, and making her request, she said, Your faithful one is now in need of you, and to you I now commend his soul. Lucia, the enemy of cruelty, hastened to make her way to where I was, sitting by the side of ancient Rachel, and said to me, Beatrice, God's true praise, will you not help the one whose love was such it made him leave the vulgar crowd for you? Do you not hear the pity of his weeping? Do you not see what death it is that threatens him along that river the sea shall never conquer? There never was a worldly person living more anxious to promote his selfish gains than I was at the sound of words like these, to leave my holy seat and come down here and place my trust in you, in your noble speech that honors you and all those who have heard it. When she had finished reasoning, She turned her shining eyes away and there were tears how eager then I was to come to you. And I have come to you just as she wished and I have freed you from the beast that stood blocking the quick way up the Mount of Bliss. So what is wrong? Why, why do you delay? Why are you such a coward in your heart? Why aren't you bold and free of all your fear? When three such gracious ladies, who are blessed, watch out for you up there in heaven's court, and my words, too, bring promise of such good. As little flowers from the frosty night are closed and limp, and when the sun shines down on them, they rise to open on their stem, my wilted strength began to bloom within me, and such warm courage flowed into my heart that I spoke like a man set free of fear. O she! compassionate who moved to help me and you all kindness in obeying quick those words of truth she brought with her for you you and the words you spoke have moved my heart with such desire to continue onward that now i have returned to my first purpose let us start for both our wills joined now are one you are my guide you are my lord and teacher these were my words to him, and when he moved, I entered on that deep and rugged road. Now there's a mistake in my edition, uh, my paperback edition of Muse's translation. He, um, he or the publishing company fixes it in the digital edition, the Indiana d- digital edition, and I just returned and listened back to my own reading of it uh, after I discovered the, the mistake. The line is in 109. The translation I have here on the page is, "There never was a wordly person living." I find that's funny because, as I'm about to show you, the word "word" is crucial in all of Cantú too, and in fact, this may have made it past the <laughs> the editions of this uh, Penguin paperback. Um, so they they uh, mistakenly wrote the wrong word here or printed the wrong word: world, wor- wordly, wordly. There was never a wordly, not a worldly. I read it correctly. I guess I just changed it because it makes no sense. But yes, it does make a lot of sense in this passage. And that's a good introduction to mm, taking a look closely at the language of Canto 2. Many have called this um, the canto della parola, the the canto uh, of the word. Um, If Canto 1 is the canto of fear, the para, this is uh, the canto of the word. So uh, looking back over my Musa translation, the word word um, is, uh, is translated five times, if, if not counting this mistake, six at least. Um, lines 43, 67, 111, 135, and 136. Perhaps uh, one of those is, um, is the word uh, speech or speechifying or sweet speech. But most of those are translated as word. And if you look back in the Mandelbaum and the uh, Hollander, they are translated. That's, that's the word parola. It's translated into the word word as well. Um, also of note, uh, when you look closely, this is, a, again, a translating thing. It's, it's small, it's not as significant as maybe some of the other choices. If you take a look at the epic simile, <clears throat> the epic simile, on, um, <clears throat> really at the conclusion take a coffee here huh? at the conclusion of um, of the canto as little flowers bent and closed with chill of night when the sun lights them stand all open on their stems such to my failing strength did i become and so much courage poured into my heart that i began as one made resolute i just read you the hollander translation but the musa and the Mandelbaum both have a word in there that indicates the temperature uh, that the courage makes the flower feel in the muse, its uh, and such warm courage flowed into my heart, and um, in the mandelbaum, if I can find it here, um, and such warm daring rushed into my heart. Now, why is that? Why does that make a difference? Well, I think that you know when you're translating uh, at these similes and you're translating the poetry, you want the the image or the picture or the analogy to ring as true to the reader uh, of the, the, the language in this case English that you can and by translating that as warm or um, warm daring or warm courage then you give more of an emphasis of the defrosting of uh, Dante the pilgrim here so at the end of this passage he's he compares himself to that a flower um, on a frosty night and it's his courage that is that is given to him by Virgil's words here, that warms him up, and so just an interesting to note that you know you'll find <clears throat> these added, additional uh, words in there, in part to perhaps not give an accurate portrayal of the language, the Italian language, but to um, to extend uh, and um, advance the the metaphor here. Finally, um, or not finally, but rather finally in my um, estimation of what's important in terms of language, is line 44. Uh, Virgil is described here in line 44 in the Musa translation. Um, uh, Virgil responds to Dante. He says, if I have truly understood your words, he says, that shade of magnanimity replied. That shade of magnanimity. I love that word. Um, The virtue uh, of great heartedness or great spiritness in the two translations that I have in front of me here the Hollander and the Mandelbaum um, They are not translated into magnanimity, but rather into uh, uh, Hollander has great soul and um, and uh, and uh, Looks like um, It looks like uh, Mandelbaum has great heart so these, um, so those two po- those two translators, do not translate the word uh, magna uh, magna animo, like great, great anima, uh, as great heart, great soul, um, musa, magnanimity, and um, th- there's a big difference, I think. Magnanimity, of course, as the virtue of great of greatness, right? Um, that Aquinas speaks about and because aquinas speaks about it in the summa it's it's muse's way i think of of connecting uh, dante up with a, with a with the, tr- uh, the tradition of, of theology and of virtue and in in the other in the other translations i think there's a just uh, in a sense a kind of more literal translation depending on how you look at it either soul or heart and so um you know uh, to placing virgil in within the the tradition of the virtue of magnanimity is super important because Virgil is super important to Dante, um, throughout obviously the whole divine comedy, but here in in his, in Canto 2 where he's still introducing Virgil as his guide, uh, it, it, that word magnanimity, uh, really, uh, kind of details how Virgil is important to Dante's journey. Why is it that a pagan, um, a great pagan but a pagan nevertheless is given this charge of leading uh dante through through hell and through purgatory so first i want to talk a little bit about some of the structural um some of the structural pieces of canto 2 and then i want to discuss um, these two central figures in dante's journey um explicitly here in canto uh, two. its virgil and then um well it's both it's both beatrice and virgil but there's also an implicit um, understanding here of uh, the use of poetry and poetics. And so I'd like to just mention some of those parallels first and then I will work my way to discuss um, these two characters of Virgil and Beatrice. Now as Hollander mentions in his footnotes, and again, those of you who have heard me talk about Hollander's edition of Dante, I really like it because of the, uh, because of the footnotes. He's, he's really such a, such a good scholar but he's also a very kind and generous scholar in that, yes, he's got this, uh, what I think is a great translation of Dante, but he also collects for the student and for the scholar uh, that which has been said uh, about Dante over the years. And he also, interestingly enough, collects what his students have said over the years uh, that are that are unpublished and that's his generosity. But, uh, but uh, Hollander mentions here uh, in the footnotes to Canto 2, right at the start, lines one through six, and he collects this common opinion among scholars and readers that the first two cantos um, perform a separate functions. As we saw in Canto 1, part of the function of Canto 1 is to introduce us to the entire divine comedy. The f- one of the functions of Canto 2, however, is to introduce us into the inferno. So Canto 2 uh, explains, of course, how Dante got to be where he is. In in the dark wood, and also how Virgil got to be there, um, and you can see, and Hollander mentions some of these parallels, which I'll explain to you. So, in the very first canto, um, we get uh, we get a number we get a description of Dante's uh, predicament, his peril, um, in lines one through twenty seven. And there's a there's a simile there that we looked at, of the the sailor, the drowned sailor that washed up on the shore. And then Dante encounters the three beasts in line twenty-eight through sixty, and we're given another simile there. Um, and then finally, uh, line sixty-one through one thirty-six, Virgil appears and he assures Dante, uh, and um, and Dante is sort of saved from his own fear. And uh, this segues us to Canto two. Canto two has this same uh, breakdown, same outline. We've got lines one through one uh, through forty-two, which give Dante's uncertainty. Then we have a a, a simile here in line thirty-seven. The simile of um, <clears throat> of as one who unwills what he willed will change his purpose. And then after this simile is 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 presented, we get three blessed ladies. Now these three blessed ladies are in parallel to the three beasts in uh, the first canto. We, then that description of the three blessed uh, ladies is followed by another simile in 127, which we, uh, which we just looked at of, of the flower warming up to 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 the uh, to the sun, and then finally uh, in lines 127 to 142 of the second canto, Dante's will is firmed up, his courage returns to him. So we get this beautiful parallel parallelism from in canto one, and canto two, as if to repeat it all over. Again, uh, the process of Dante's fear and his fear relieved uh, through uh, in Canto One, uh, Virgil, and then in Canto Two, uh, Virgil's word, Virgil's story. Now, Canto Two has more uh, quote, direct quotations than any other canto in the whole Divine Comedy, and um, and you can see in these conversations uh, also a parallelism. Uh, this kind of beautiful uh, symmetry to the way in which these stories are told. So we begin with Dante. We we then find, we then Virgil will respond to Dante here in Canto 2. Within Virgil's story, we get Beatrice speaking to Virgil, then Virgil speaking to Beatrice, and then Beatrice speaking back to Virgil, and then Virgil speaking to Dante, and then Dante speaking. So we get Dante, Virgil, Beatrice, Virgil, Beatrice, Virgil Dante. Right? It's this great invertedness um, that parallels this whole process. And this gives us as readers, um it gives us a better sense of how the word is circulated, how the word uh that comes from Beatrice uh and Lucia and we assume Mary, although Mary is not named here, to Virgil to Dante. So, you see in the theme of the word, you see the parallelisms of the word itself being uh, sort of transformed, not really transformed, but just a passed through, passed down, passed into this this progress and the circularness from Dante and then back to Dante. You know, the word I was looking for there is transmission, so... I've written some here. Oh, operational, operational in chain of transmission of word. And Virgil becomes that piece, uh, that actor, that agent of the transmission of the word, despite the fact that he's a pagan. And this is, shows us how important Virgil is as a, a guide for Dante. And before I continue, I would like to read from Joseph Pieper's uh, essay on hope. As a way of introducing Virgil, the the, the figure of Virgil, and how he operates within Dante's journey, and this and this translation that Musa makes of, of magnanimity, um, the virtue. And I'd like to read just from from uh, his his essay on hope, and I'll uh, give the information for this in um, in the syllabus. He writes, a "Magnanimity, a much forgotten virtue, is the aspiration of the spirit to great things." Extensio anima ad magna. It's from, or, uh, that's Aquinas. A person is magnanimous if he has the courage to seek what is great and become worthy of it. This virtue has its roots in a firm confidence in the highest possibilities of that human nature that God did marvelously ennoble and, and has still more marvelously renewed. It's a quote from the Missal. Thus magnanimity incorporates itself the aspiration of natural hope. And stamps it according to the truth of man's own nature, and then further down he says he talks about humility, um, which is uh, more than more than we need for this discussion. And he and he and he concludes this section on magnanimity and humility by writing, and this is the important piece here: the proper ordering of natural hope is born then from the interaction of magnanimity and humility, and this is. Uh, this is a, a very nice um, uh, lens on which we see Dante's journey because he is struggling uh, in many ways between his, uh, his own pride and his own fear. Um, and the virtues he needs are magnanimity here and, um, and humility. In Virgil, the character of Virgil being called magnanimous or of great heart and great soul Helps correct Dante in this way, just as Beatrice will later correct Dante in his lack of humility. Um, one way in which Dante points to this theme, here in Canto Two, is with the epic. Um, I'm sorry, the uh, the epic. In, yes, the epic invocation in line seven. He says, "O oh Muses, O oh high genius, help me now." Oh, memory that wrote down what I saw, here your true excellence shall be revealed. So Dante is um, invoking the muses here. Um, this this is a um, this invocation was very traditional in in um, epic verse. It was in Homer, and we see it also in Virgil's Aeneid as well. And you see it all over the all over the place. It's the poet's way of invoking the gods and who is dante invoking here um in, men, in, in in he is invoking the muses so those muses who help the poet write the story he is uh, he is asking them for help with his memory <clears throat> a memory that i wrote down what i saw and i i'm smiling because it, you know here we have a poet who is invoking the muses invoking some might even say the holy spirit here as a way of filling him with um filling him with the truth filling him with what a- what happened and with filling him with great poetry so <laughs> it's uh it's quite a contrast uh, the poet here is quite a contrast in in making this invocation to the to dante the pilgrim who is you know frankly um a scaredy cat uh during this section he's filled with great fear and even the fear that was <laughs> resolved or at least diminished at the end of canto one seems to be back Dante here explains to uh, Virgil uh, in the in the first uh, 20 30 40 lines that he does not believe himself worthy uh, to take on to take on this journey he even compares himself to Aeneas and Paul and he says you know I- I'm not I'm not Aeneas I'm not Paul I'm not st Paul I haven't you know, gone into Hades as Aeneas had or, uh, St. Paul who writes about having a vision of, uh, having a vision of heaven. So how can I trust you, uh, to, to, to know that, that I'm the one who was supposed to take this journey? Um, he says, um, directly, I fear it might turn out an act of folly, um, and then he sort of breaks down and says, you are wise, you see more than my words express. So Dante in this is having a hard time articulating himself. He's so he's so scared. And this is where we get in Canto 2, this um, epic uh, simile as one who unwills what he has will will change his purpose with some new second thought, completely quitting what he first had started. So I did, standing there on the dark slope. And Virgil responds and Virgil's response. This is where he's called magnanimous or the shade of magnanimity He basically calls him a coward. He says you're scared and you're burdened. You're pushed down by cowardice and this cowardice Virgil says often turns us from our Enterprise like a frightened beast that shies at its own shadow It's line 48 um, notice this word shadow is going to be important ongoing uh, the dead um, cast shadows or they are uh, rather sorry they don't cast shadows um, only the living cast shadows and so um, those in uh, the afterlife will see that Dante cast a shadow and see that he's different from from them so Virgil Dispels Dante's fear, and how does he dispel Dante's fear? Well, he tells him the story of why uh, why he came. He came to to him in the dark wood. And the story he tells is fascinating. Uh, there's a number of different figures in his story. He is in uh, limbo, which we will see in Canto Four more of, and he's in limbo, and Beatrice appears to him. And she addresses him as a as a noble soul, as a as a as a large souled poet, uh, whose works will resound all through history. And she says, "Please, uh, please, um, please go and help, help Dante, help Dante, you know, from himself." And Virgil responds to this by saying, "Yes, and how how did you <laughs> how did you get down here? How can you be in how can you be here when you?" When your place is really up in the kingdom of heaven, and she explains to him that hell really means nothing to her, that she can't, she's not affected by it at all. These are these are important, um, uh, you know. In a way, these are this is exposition, right? I mean, this is explaining how uh, the beatific vision. That once you enter into paradise in the beatific vision, hell really has nothing, has nothing means nothing to you. We'll see a, an angel later on in hell who has the same reaction to hell. It's like, okay, I'm gonna just deliver my message and take off. No big deal. Gotta get back. Um, so it gives, us, it gives us sort of the cosmology of, of the afterlife. But more importantly, it shows us, Dante shows us, is that it's through conversation that we are corrected and we understand the world. And this is exactly what Virgil will want for Dante later. Ask the sinners, ask the damned questions, the right questions. Ask the right questions, get the right answers. And When you get the right answers, you can correct yourself. You can correct your will and you can increase and perfect your knowledge. So these are little important moments, even really here in Canto Two, right at the beginning of the poem to show us how important dialogue is, really dialectic, right, back and forth. So Beatrice explains her own story, which is which also is fascinating, right? Because there she is in heaven with Rachel, the, who is the symbol of uh, Christian contemplation. And she's interrupted by Lucia, who is told by Mary, who is unnamed here, of Dante's damnation. And so uh, Beatrice herself explains how all of this happened. It wasn't Beatrice who saw it necessarily, but it was, it was Mary. Well, let's take a look at this uh, transmission uh, uh, from Mary down. So Mary, uh, she tr- has uh, traditionally been um, looked at in, 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 in Christian thought as, uh, as mercy and compassion. And so th- this font of mercy and compassion uh, takes pity on Dante, seeing Dante, and uh, trans- uh, uh, translates this pity through her word to Lucia, Lucia Saint Lucia, she is, her name means light, it sort of indicates an illumination, a grace um, sent by the Virgin Mary. Um, Dante might have also had an affiliation with her because she was one of the patron saints of Florence. So Lucia then interrupts uh, her and and Rachel again the, the picture of Rachel, the picture of Christian contemplation. And this all then uh, culminates in in Beatrice's, um, telling uh, uh, Virgil about, um, about Dante and then sending Virgil down. So it starts with Mary taking pity on him and then the action sort of sends all the way down uh, to, to, to Virgil who, um, who in his capacity uh, as a pagan, a pagan who has been placed in limbo, which we'll see in Canto four more of uh, in warning uh, Dante of his damnation. Not only does he warn him, but he, but Virgil is an instrument of Dante's salvation. Now, first time readers of Dante are excused from asking the question, "Who is Beatrice?" And we'll find more out about Beatrice as this um, as this poem continues. But Beatrice was uh, Dante's uh, love, not his wife, but his love uh, from Florence, and. Um, in a in a future recording, I will I'll be discussing Dante's Vita Nuova, which is a, an earlier work prior to um, the Divine Comedy that explains his um, devotion to Beatrice. But she's unknown, and she died, and she died before the composition of the Divine Comedy. And Beatrice here is allegorical for grace, for mercy. Um, traditionally, these two f- important figures of of uh, of Virgil and, and Beatrice have been looked at as Virgil, on the one hand, sort of represents reason and Beatrice will represent theology. and that's true to some degree. Um, but they also take a number of allegorical significances later on in the poem. In here we're, we're not given a whole lot about Beatrice is that she's in a very high place and she's thought of um, in, in in sort of these uh, these angelic terms um, for for Dante. But notice how Dante responds to this story he He is filled with courage, now, how could all of these things happen? How could heaven and earth be be moved uh, for uh, Dante's salvation and and how can Dante continue to be um, a, a scared and afraid? So I think this is emotionally very important for Dante to realize that he is actually being singled out uh, by heaven uh, to to follow the right road and so his courage comes back to him, but this all happens. Through, through Virgil. And Virgil, who of course is a, a famous historical figure, um, but is, is, is important to Dante himself. Dante's poem is always universal and it's always personal. And you can see through the figures of Virgil and, and Beatrice how it's both uh, universal and and um, particular and universal and personal. Virgil, of course, Beatrice, who's not universally known, um, but she represents a kind of conduit through which the grace and the mercy of the vir- of Virgin Mary comes through um, and how Beatrice consorts, in a sense, with figures like Lucia and Rachel and, as we'll see later on, many, many other saints. Uh, Virgil makes Dante move, move to the next step of his journey, and he makes him move largely through a recollection of this story, which, for Virgil, which as we see in Virgil is, is, is very reasonable and very rational. There's almost like a set of rational arguments here of these supernatural events. And this will be Virgil's ongoing persona in, throughout the Inferno, that Virgil represents this kind of reasoned way of working through experience without becoming overwhelmed by experience. Now, there will be moments that Virgil doesn't understand the very experience that he and Dante are having, but there'll be reasons for this um, limitation. Um, and they're really interesting. Uh, they're really fascinating limitations on Virgil's part. And they're usually because he's not a Christian. He can't understand, say, for example, what, why the crucifixion was rational. Um, but he does represent reason, and he represents it. He represents language and poetry. Um, and this is kind of the implicit, sort of the implicit um, uh, theme throughout Canto II and 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 elsewhere, which is this idea that. Dante himself will take the place alongside Virgil as writing the great epic, but first he needs humility. First he needs courage in order to write, and he uh, needs this through the intervention of uh, Virgil himself. Talk about you know poetic influence, and um, if if you if we return back to that word magnanimity. Uh, that, that Musa translates for the description for Virgil. It's, it's a very high-minded uh, picture of Virgil himself. He really is, in a sense, articulating in his person this spirit to do great things, right? This jewel, what, what, what is called by Christian theologians is the jewel of all virtues. Virgil sort of has it, right? He has this tremendous um, uh, tremendous idea of uh, and and working out of something great, all right. So that's it for now. Um, there's so much uh, to be said about this passage. And my hope is that in our discussion, you will bring to the, to the, to the front, forefront um, what you saw and how you see it. Uh, just as a way of closing, this is why uh, reading closely through Dante uh, is, such a, is such a pleasure, uh, because every time you read it, you find new things. You cannot possibly exhaust it. And the inexhaustibility of the text is one of the great characteristics of the great books. So, uh, here's to our discussion, and I will, I will, uh, I will see you there.